you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Glad you're here tonight in the house of the Lord. I want to get into the word of the Lord with you. Tonight I will try to be mindful of of time last week, I took you entirely too long, and some, of course, um, come and say, "Pastor, you should have gone longer." And uh, my wife's usually a pretty good judge when I say I went too long. If she looks at me and slowly says, "No, it was good," I, I usually know what that means. She never criticizes. I'm only kidding. Glad to be here. I want to talk to you tonight from the Word of the Lord, First Corinthians chapter nine. If you have your Bibles and I will take your attention to the 24th verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we will also be reading some other pieces of Scripture tonight, supporting Scriptures. But I'm going to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. And of course, we're going to be picking up kind of where I left off last Wednesday night in the discussion of spiritual warfare we're going to talk a little more tonight about spiritual warfare. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. There's only one winner in the race. So run that ye may obtain. Verse 25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we an incorruptible crown. Now let me help you with this text here. It's talking about those who are trying to master anything, whatever it is they may be doing. If this, of course, is drawing our attention to um, perhaps what, would, what we would know as the modern-day Olympics, that they have to be tempered in everything. They have to eat right. They have to exercise right. They have to... They need enough rest. they got to live their life accordingly. And so they have to be temperate in everything that they do. And they're doing it, the Scripture said, to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, we also, like them, must be temperate in all areas of our life. And we are going to receive an incorruptible crown. Amen. It is the crown of life. Amen. The incorruptible crown. So verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I. 
stuff. I, I, I run, but I don't run as one that's uncertain. It's the same way that I fight, he says. Not as one that beateth the air. Now remember, the Apostle Paul is writing, perhaps we could take you to um, some Greek arena and put you there as was the sporting events of the day, as gladiators would fight, as men would show off their uh, physical abilities in the races. Everything was, everything was built um, around the, the survival of the fittest. They would fight in the arenas. They would uh, race in the arenas. And so the apostle is writing now in this context, and he is drawing our attention to the importance of us putting temperance, everybody say temperance, temperance in our lives. And he says there's a reason that we must have temperance in our lives. There's a reason that we must gain control of this flesh. There's a reason. All the things that we're doing, we, we are doing it. We're running, but we're not running one that's not sure if we're going to win. We can run with, a sure, with, with an assured confidence knowing that we're going to receive a, a, the reward. And he says, that's the same manner that I fight, not as one that beateth the air, meaning we are skilled in this warfare. He goes on in verse 27 and said, but I keep under my body, I keep the flesh in control, this is what he's saying, and bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. So our text is giving two essentials, I think, that are very necessary in this spiritual battle. And it's in verse 26 of our text where he said, run with assurance, run with confidence. That's what he's saying to us. Run with confidence. And then he says to fight. But don't fight as one that doesn't know what you're doing. Don't just, don't just swing and beat at the air, he says, but fight with skill. Now, let me help you a little bit and remind you that last week we talked about the weapons of our warfare. Remember? The weapons of our warfare are not what? They're not carnal, meaning they are not flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities. Everything that I'm dealing with is not about the flesh. It is all about the spirit. Last week I reminded you, if you were here last week, that we are spiritual beings, not fleshly beings who have spiritual experiences. But we are spiritual beings and we have a short time in this flesh. This flesh will die. No matter how healthy we are, no matter what kind of genetics you have, no matter what kind of workout programs, if the Lord does not return, 
this flesh is going to go by way of the grave. We don't like to talk about it. But the spirit, everybody say the spirit, the soul of man will live forever. And so we are spiritual beings that inhabit a fleshly body for a space of time. And the whole time that we're in this fleshly body, this flesh gives us trouble. There's always problems. James said life is a few days, but full of trouble. There's going to be problems in this life. And so the apostle here is talking about keeping under the flesh, keeping under the body. And he says, run with assurance and fight with skill. He uses his own self for an example. He said, I run with confidence. I run with assurity. And he said, I don't fight as one that beateth the air. In other words, I fight as though I am a trained and skillful warrior. Now, the St. Paul tells the young Timothy as he is aging out, he is reaching the end of his race. He tells Timothy in his second letter at the end of his ministry and nearing the end of his life, the young Paul, the apostle, tells the young Timothy, who is the younger minister that is beginning ministry, and he is laying out to him and tells him in 2 Timothy 2.15, what does he say? Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The apostle is telling Timothy the same exact thing that he told the church in Corinth. He's telling Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. It doesn't matter if men think you're skillful. It doesn't matter if men think you're educated. If you've got a doctorate behind your name or if you don't have a high school diploma, that does not matter with God. It matters with men, but it doesn't matter with God. But he said, with God, we study to show thyself approved unto God, that we are a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. In other words, we are skilled. And he's telling him, if you're going to be a minister, which the young Timothy was a gospel preacher. And he tells him, study this book. Study this book so that you know this book, so you will not be ashamed before the Lord. You have to know what you're talking about. We have to be careful that the only time we read the Word of God is when we come to church. You need to get in the Word of God. You know why? Because we're in a spiritual warfare. What does that mean, Pastor? That means you have no scripture to fight the devil with. I know it sounds elementary. It sounds very basic. And I'm coming to you tonight with some very basic principles in spiritual warfare. This word is one of the strongest and most powerful weapons that you will ever have to use against the enemy. When the enemy begins to come against you, if you can go to a scripture and you can just begin to use Scripture. Sometimes the enemy comes against our mind, comes against, we need to go to Scripture and be able to say, I, re I remember reading somewhere, and we begin to read that Scripture that begins to give confidence to us and tell us that we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. For every, every 
ounce of attack that will ever come into your life, there is a scripture that gives you confidence and assurance that you can win that spiritual battle that is coming against you. Whatever the enemy brings at you, there is scripture to be able to fight back. The only way we can know that scripture, the only way we can fight back with the Word of God is if we have knowledge of the Word of God. We must have knowledge of the Word of God. And that comes, the apostle told Timothy, what did he say? Study. Study. So it's important that we study. We ought to be students of the Word of God. Well, Pastor, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be in that pulpit where you're standing. I'm not, I, don't have to, I don't have to know those things. It isn't about being able to, to stand in front of a crowd or quote Scripture. It's about being able to fight the enemy that will come against you in your life. This Word is more than just the book we preach from. It's got to be the Word, the, it's got to be the, the, the weapon that we fight the enemy with. In our day-to-day life, we need the Word of God to be able to go to with calm assurance and know I can fight not as one that beateth the air, but that one that knows the Word of God. You'll never have more confidence than knowing that you're walking in the Word. People can come through and they can tell you, well, I feel this and God said this and God told me that. Wonderful. God will never violate His Word. If God ever tells you something that is not supported in the Word of God, listen, it wasn't God. You had too many many beans. You ate too much pizza too late. That's not God. God will never violate His Word. He's never going to send somebody to come through and speak a word into your life that is in in contradiction with the Word of God. It is going to be supportive of the Word of God. Let the word of God be true and every man be a liar. So the word of God is the foundation of our warfare. Our arsenal is greater. It's more than just the word of God, but it is the foundational principle of the word of God. Everything has a foundation in the word of God. In this word, it teaches us how to pray. Prayer is a wonderful weapon. We need to pray. That's a weapon that we use in this arsenal, in this spiritual warfare. Not only is prayer a weapon, worship is a great and powerful weapon. And it is a great weapon to use in this arsenal. I couldn't tell you the number of times that I've walked in the door of the, of the church feeling down, feeling worried, feeling temptation, all sorts of attacks coming against me. I walk in, walk to the front, begin to sing the songs of the church, begin to worship the Lord, begin to clap my hands. Before long, I begin to feel some assurance coming in me. I begin to feel like I can do this. I can make it through. I couldn't tell you the number of times that I have walked in the doors of the church feeling down, but the, the preached Word of God began to speak to me, began to strengthen me, began to give me confidence and assurance. Listen, it is a weapon. That's why it's important that we're faithful to the house of God. Oh, let me tell you, your faithfulness is a weapon against the enemy. Oh, I could shout right about now. 
Your, your, your faithfulness to God is a weapon. You know what he said? Resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. And the same book says, how do you resist the devil? By being steadfast in the faith. Your faithfulness, your confidence of just being stable, being steadfast, not being blown around by every wind of doctrine, not going to and fro, but putting your feet on the ground, planting your feet and settling it in your heart. I'm standing with the Lord. I'm in the Word. So there is a universal challenge for every Christian and that universal challenge for every Christian is to grow. Say that with me, grow. Grow. Every one of us. Pastor, when do we stop growing? You don't. We never stop growing. You know what happens? I've noticed something. How many of you have grass in your yard? You got green grass right now? Maybe some of you, this year you may have. Particularly if you planted ryegrass right at the end of the year, we hadn't had much winter. You know what I notice? In the spring, when that grass turns green, what does it do? It grows. We mow it down. Four or five days later, Brother Phil's back on the mower trying to make this yard look good. Brother Dan's out here pushing the mower. Trying to make these islands look good. Four or five days later, they have to mow. But here alone comes a season. And what do we say about that grass? The grass has stopped growing. It turns brown. What do we call that? Dead. Dead. Grass is dead. Died. But next winter, it's going to rise again. Listen, you know when you stop growing? When you're dead. We grow until the Lord calls us home. And if you run this race with patience, if you fight the good fight, I can promise you that if you die in the faith, you're just going to be in the grave for a little while. You're going to lay dormant for a little while. But if life goes into the grave, life is going to come up out of that grave because there's going to be a getting up morning. There's going to be a new awakening, and it's going to be once again. And so you grow. You run this race with patience. You lay hold on eternal life, so you keep on fighting. Well, Pastor, I think I've done all the growing I need to do. There is never a time to stop growing. Never a time to stop growing. We keep growing. We keep studying. We keep digging. We keep going further. We keep going back to the Lord saying, I need a closer walk with you. Well, how close is a close walk with the Lord? Listen, there's only one man that I know that walked with the Lord, and he was not. It was in the Scripture. Enoch walked with the Lord. He got so close to the Lord that the Lord took him out of here. You know what? My mother always used to say, I don't want to be buried. I want to live, and the Lord called me home in the rapture. I don't want to be buried. All the only chance we may have it that the only thing I can find is one man named Enoch that got close enough to God that God just said, you know what, I'm going to take him on out of here. Otherwise, we're going to go by way of the grave.
But it doesn't matter where we are in our walk with the Lord. We can't lose out at the end of the race. We can't stop fighting and let the enemy come in and overtake us. We can't lose the battle at the end of the race. So we keep growing. We keep praying. We keep worshiping. We keep coming back. And we keep saying, God, people say, well, what What in the world? Why are you, why are you faithful to the house of the Lord? Why, why are you praying? Why, why, haven't you done enough of that in your life? No, because when he calls me home, I want to be as close to him as I have ever been because I want confidence and assurance that I have made it. Run, but run with confidence. I don't want to get to the end of my life and not run with confidence. So I run with confidence. It is a universal, uh, universal challenge to every Christian to grow, to hone our skills, increase our understanding, stretch our faith, grow in the knowledge of the Lord, grow in the power of His might. But the fight, but the fight is a spiritual war and we must fight in this spiritual war with skill and perseverance. I'll take you back to our text in the 26th verse. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. So we are to fight in this spiritual war Run in this spiritual race with skill and perseverance. Now I've learned it's, it's very hard to teach somebody that already believes they know everything. You ever try to teach somebody that knows everything? You know anybody that knows everything? We call them know-it-alls. <laughs> Am I being too, too real tonight? It's hard to teach somebody that already knows everything. You try to talk to them, I already know that. Yeah, I already know that. I already know everything. I don't need anything from you. I, don't, I, I already know it all. It's hard to teach a person who already believes that they know everything. When the young Timothy looks, when, the, when, when Paul looks at the young Timothy and tells him, Timothy, study. I'm not going to study. I've already read it cover to cover. I already know everything in there. He said, Timothy, study. I already know everything. This argument isn't about me. That's why I said study to show yourself approved unto God. Argue with God that you already know it all. Argue with God that you already have it all together. He says study to show thyself approved. So each of us must recognize our need to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. All of us, we never reach a place. I've heard people say before, regarding why they've changed their stance on certain things. And I think it's a very dangerous road to walk down when they begin to talk. But for each of us, we, if we study, we will have deeper understandings, clear revelation, more, more understanding. I know we lived in a day that people did things because mom and dad said do it. And then the kids started growing up, and it was the why generation. They started questioning everything. I need to know why. It used to be that members of the church did whatever the pastor said because the pastor said it. 
We don't live in that day anymore. People want to know why. Pastor's got to be more skillful, more educated, more knowledgeable. Got to go deeper in the Word. He's got to teach. He's got to show Scripture. He's got to prove himself over and over again. And they still question. Can I get an amen? It's the day. It's the generation in which we live. You can meet people that are utterly lost. You try to talk to them about God. I remember one time. It's rather funny, and I can't share the details of a story because it would become vulgar, and I would not do that in the pulpit or outside of the pulpit. Maybe I should clarify. We were on a job one time, Pastor Danny and I, and we were talking. Somebody overheard us, heard we were ministers, and his very explanation of how much he loved Jesus was filled with very explicit cuss words. He let us know, oh, man, I love Jesus. I go to church. I'm a, and he was just, it was one cuss word after another, after another. Do I doubt that he loves Jesus? This much, I don't know. Maybe he does, but I do know this much. He needs to study the Word of God because he doesn't have a lot of things figured out. He thinks he has it figured out, but he doesn't have it figured out. And so he needs a deeper understanding, a deeper knowledge. So we all must recognize our need to grow in the knowledge of God because we are in a spiritual battle. One of our first lessons that we must learn in this spiritual battle is to recognize our enemy, to be able to identify the enemy. Now, for some of you that's been around a long time, Probably think nothing of that. For most of us, that sounds very generic. But this may be one of the most important lessons for every one of us, and we all forget it. We get in a spiritual battle, we start blaming it on somebody else, on something else, instead of recognizing what the real issue is. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because, can you put that on the screen for me up there? There you go, there you go. Read that with me. Be sober, be vigilant, because your wife, I mean, be sober, be vigilant, because your boss, your adversary, who? Who's your adversary? When it is a spiritual battle, it is not who we think it is sometimes. Well, this person this and that person that and this individual here. It is a spiritual battle. You have an adversary, and it is the devil. And he'll make you believe that it's something else because he is the father of lies. And he uses trickery, and he will cause you to believe that the battle is something else. The battle's because I don't have enough money. The battle's because... 
I don't have the right friends. The battle is because I've been held back. The battle is because I don't have enough education. Listen, your adversary is the devil. Don't forget who the enemy is. The, the most important lesson, this is so basic, so basic. But every one of us, regardless how long we've been living for God, needs somebody to remind us one a time, one, one, every now and then, once in a while. Hey, listen, listen, listen. The adversary is the devil. And we're in a spiritual battle. So let's understand. Now, are there people that are used by the enemy? Absolutely. And any of us can be used by the adversary. Any of us. You stop praying, you can become a tool of the adversary. There's people sometimes that save, sanctified, set free on their way to heaven, stop praying a little while, and the next thing you know, they are discouraging more people than they're encouraging. Why is that? Because they're not praying. They let down their guard and the enemy said, you know what, they're influential. I'm going to let their words start hurting people. I'm going to let their words start discouraging people. I'm going to let what they have to say start, start causing people to feel like they're not good enough or they're not doing a good enough job. Mm -hmm. It happens in the church. Well, I don't like this and I prefer that. We're in a spiritual battle. And if we're not careful, we'll let the flesh and what we like began to control what is coming out of our mouth. And the whole deal is we are revealing that we're not where we need to be in God. We're not praying. We're not fasting. We're not in the Word. We're not growing. We're making it all about us. That is, when we make life about us, it is a clear sign that the enemy is controlling the flesh. I'm not even there. I'm getting ahead of myself tonight. Because one of the great things the enemy uses is the flesh. It is a weapon that he uses. It is the flesh. And so in this spiritual battle, we must recognize who the enemy is. Every time that something frustrates you, upsets you, causes you to become critical, stop where you are. It is the enemy that is attacking you. Nope. Nope. Not the enemy. If you don't recognize it's the enemy, you are going to lose in this battle. If we're not careful, the first thing we'll do when the enemy starts fighting us is to start finding fault with everything and everybody around us. Ever notice when people backslide? I do because I get the blame most of the time. The church gets the blame most of the You ever notice it? People start backsliding. They start becoming critical of the church. They start becoming critical of the pastor. Sometimes I hear things that I've done and said, and I try to figure out how in the world did somebody come up with such a great tale. The whole deal is, is they started backsliding, and the devil were putting things in their mind, and they thought somebody said something. They thought somebody acted some way. Hello, somebody. Your adversary is the devil, and he will put things in your mind, and he will put things there, and if you, if you repeat it long enough, you'll start believing it. You'll start deciding people are against you that love you. 
you'll start thinking somebody's against you. You don't know what they're going through. They didn't smile at me tonight. You don't know what they're going through. They may have a toothache. I don't smile when I have toothaches either. You don't know what they're going through. Don't let the devil tell you. This is a spiritual battle. It's that, oh, pastor, you're being silly tonight. That's how the devil works. He starts with some of the simplest of things. Well, they didn't shake my hand. Well, they didn't speak to me. Oh, pastor, you're being just ridiculous tonight. That doesn't cause people to backslide. No, it's just the, the way the devil begins. Did you see how they looked at me? Did you see, oh, did you see how they came in dressed? Well, look at them. They think they're somebody. They think they're better than me. And before long, we start building a whole case against somebody, and you don't even know what they're going through. You don't even know what they're facing. And the whole while, the devil's sitting back laughing because we took our focus off of him and put the focus on somebody. And somebody is not the adversary. The adversary is the devil from the beginning. Now, yeah, people can be used. People use every tool and weapon sometimes. I think I want to take social media and throw it out the door. I, can, I know it's a great communication tool, particularly when you live a thousand miles away from your family and, and all the people you grew up with and around, it's wonderful. I'm connected with people from all over, some I know, some I don't know too well, some I had never met before, but we're friends on social media. And sometimes I want to throw it out the door because somebody comes on and starts complaining about something, using innuendos, and the next thing you know, I can become upset at somebody thinking that they're the problem and it's the adversary, the devil, that they are stop praying. They've become critical. Am I too real tonight? Thank all four of you. That's right. Brother Price used to say, your spouse is not your problem. That's the truth. The adversary is the devil. The style of music, that's not the real issue. That's not why you're not worshiping. You're not worshiping because you're not worshiping. You stop praying, that's why you're not worshiping. That's not your problem. Not because they're not singing your song. Not because the wrong preacher's in the pulpit. Because you hung up your heart. You started listening to the weapons, uh, to the enemy. And you took your weapon and you set your weapon up on the, up on the willows. You stopped praying, you stopped worshiping, you stopped being faithful. And you started being critical. Because here, hear this tonight. Your adversary, the devil, will attach himself to every area of your weakness. Your weakest points, he will attach himself there. The things you become frustrated with the easiest, the, the enemy will attach himself to that. The things that you're sensitive over, the enemy will attach himself to that. This is a spiritual battle. This is what, don't lose focus of what I'm preaching about tonight. I'm not preaching to anyone. I'm preaching to us tonight how we are to fight the enemy. And we've got to know who our enemy is, and we've got to understand that we are in a spiritual war, and we must know our enemy. I told you last week that the enemy will come 
to us on three fronts. Remember what they are? They are the world, the flesh, and the devil are the spiritual realm. The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's our three main focuses that we have to, we have to all the time, we have to be watching out for. The world comes. It's in all of it has satanic influence. And then we have to war against this flesh because in this flesh dwelleth no good thing. And so there's desires of this flesh and cravings of the flesh. And sins of the flesh are conquered through fasting and prayer. This is why I call the church to prayer and fasting. And people say, well, I don't want to do that. That's not what I want to do. Then you need it more than anybody else. Well, I'm just not going to do that. You need to do it because you have lost the battle with the flesh. Because the flesh has to be reeled in. Desires, lust, all sorts of any sin that is connected to the flesh, temperaments, anger, sexual desires, any inappropriate desires, anything that is sinful is connected to the flesh. You conquer that through prayer and fasting. The world, you overcome the world by faith. So the world, I'm going to talk about the world first. So we must overcome the world. You overcome the world by faith. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 15. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. I know, Annette, I'm trying to hurry. Because of the times is live right now. And my wife let me know that she plans on watching because of the times when she gets home. And so as soon as I'm done, she's running out the door to go watch because of the times because she really wanted to be there. But she had a doctor's appointment and we couldn't go. So I'm watching the time tonight. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. There you go. Thank you. Read it out loud with me now. Love not the world. You know what that means? It's ideals. Don't fall in love with the ideals of the world. Neither the things that are what? In the world. It's wealth. It's activities. It's system. The world agenda. The world's purpose. Don't fall in love with the world. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. Why? If, read it with me now, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a strong word. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, what are they? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. Watch this now. All sin can be summarized, but among, can be categorized within these three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh is the desires of the heart. The desires of the human 
element. The lust of the eyes is the desires of this flesh. The pride of life is dealing with the issues of attitude and spirit. Attitude and spirit, the pride of life. I've seen people get so upset at people over pride. The Bible, the Bible is so clear. They let the pride of life get in them. They become too proud to repent. They become too proud to worship. They become too proud to allow the Word of God to affect and change them. They become so proud, nothing can speak to them. All sin is biblically categorized in these three core issues. We must overcome the world's temptation. Here's how the world tempts us. The world will tempt you to seek its approval. It's everywhere. We need the approval of the world. We need to make sure that everybody in the world approves of us. This spirit is so rampant in our, in our world today. Everybody needing to be politically correct in everything that they do. To cave into peer pressure. It starts, it starts with the little guys. They have to have the, just the, the, the right brand shoes. Nothing wrong with having the right brand shoes. But if we're not careful, as soon as they don't have the right brand shoes, we feel like we got to go in debt to get them the right brand shoes because of what? Peer pressure. Well, all the other kids have it, peer pressure. And it doesn't stop with kids. We drive cars we can't afford. We live in houses we can't afford. We wear clothes we can't afford. Oh, my goodness. The world tempts us to conform to the worldly standards, to worldly standards, to conform to its standards. Now watch with me now. Conforming is a process. Everybody say it's a process. All right, say it with me again. Conforming is a process. All right, wake up those that are asleep beside you. Say it with me again. Conforming is a process. We don't just get up one day and say, you know what, I decided that I'm just going to conform to the world. That's not how it happens. You know how conforming happens? It is a process by which one is molded and shaped to become in the likeness of something that it was never designed to be. God created us in His image. People can say, I was born that way. You know what? You were born in the image of God. You don't even know that. You're born in the image of God. We're reborn. We're reborn new creatures. You know why? Because of sin. If it wasn't for sin, we wouldn't have to be born again. But you know what sin does? It starts a process from the very beginning, from, from, child, from childhood. We, if we're not careful, from childhood, our children start being formed and shaped into the image of the world. It start, the, ch the children begin looking like the world, talking like the world, acting like the world. This is why that our church, this church, 
I thank God we have wonderful teachers, wonderful children's ministry. We have students in class tonight, students in class on Sunday. Thank God for that. You know what we're doing? We are trying to train our children to not be conformed to the world. These little guys come in here tonight. If that bothers you, first repent. Secondly, sit on this side. That teacher wants to bring them in. She's probably teaching on praise and worship. She brings them in, lets them be part of praise and worship. You know the best lessons that can be taught? It's not what they do when they sit down at the table. It's what they watch in your home. It's what they watch you do. It's how they hear you talk. It's how they watch you worship. It's how they watch your faithfulness. Oh, I'm meddling a little bit tonight. Conforming is a process. I'm trying to decide. I'm taking my time right here trying to decide if I want to step into this tonight or not. The last two years we've been battling and dealing with this thing called COVID. Now I'm going to give you my opinion. I don't do this too often, but I'm going to step way out. This is not a political speech. This is a biblical lesson tonight. When the government, the government begins to create mandates that would have never been tolerated a few decades ago. But little by little through political correctness, I'm not talking about which side you're on. I don't care. I don't care if you've been vaccinated or not been vaccinated. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about when they start the shame game and they start putting commands and demands on you and telling you what you're going to do and not going to do. And people's like, what in the world is going on? Have you read the book of Revelation? Instead of the church being divided over issues, the church needs to start praying even so come Lord Jesus because the deal is this is the work of your adversary. Now the reason that I jumped into this subject that I don't normally deal with from the pulpit is this very issue. The real issue at hand is is that the the, the government system, the world system, is forcing confirmation. They are forcing us to conform to things that a few decades ago free American citizens would have never considered conforming to such pressure and would have rebelled. But through political correctness, and it's a, it is a process, and they are conforming our thought process, and they are forming and shaping. And the deal is, it may be good things that they're offering, but they are, they are creating things where they can demand it and command it and enforce it. And if you've read the back of the book, you know when they come with the mark, it's going to make a lot of sense, and, and, and it's going to cure a lot of issues that's going on in the world. And yes, I believe that we are dealing with the precursor. Now you ask me, I'm going to tell you tonight, do I believe the vaccine is the mark of the beast? No. None of your business, but I took it. And I took it because I have a wife that's sick, has been sick. She's not sick anymore, let me say that correctly. She's, she's about to get me over here. But we must be careful to conforming to the world system. 
because the conforming is a process of shaping our actions, shaping our response. And before long, they'll be lining us up, telling us this is, the, this is all good and well. And we can look in the Scripture and know this is not what we need to do. Oh, but everybody else is doing it, conforming. Am I in over my head tonight? Anybody mad at me yet? It is confirmation. It is conforming. We are conforming to the world's standards. Conforming is a process by which one is molded and shaped into something God never wanted us to be. Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Romans 12, 1, 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? Present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice. That doesn't sound like we're conforming. We're presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. Holy. Well, that's, a, that's something ancient. That's something out of the 1930s. That's, that's what are we talking? Holy. Acceptable. Not to the world. Acceptable unto God. Which is what? Oh, pastor. You're way in over your head teaching this kind of thing to the church in this day and age. People are not going to live up to it. This is our reasonable service. Well, that's strange. No, it's not. It's very reasonable. Oh, you mean, I, I had somebody one time, I was, I was a young, young man still living in Texas. It was the lady that cut my hair. She had been cutting my hair for a while, and she Back then, I didn't, Sister Jamie, back then, I didn't have all the white and wiry hair and hair that does all this. I had, she said, you have real good hair, and except for one cowlick, I've always had my whole lifetime right here in the front, and you can't, kind of can't do anything with it. Sister Jamie does a good job. I went and got a haircut today, restoration room. You can go there to get your hair, haircut, men. And this lady, she said, well, would you, would you mind? I need to go. She was doing a contest, and she asked me to be go so she could cut my hair in this contest and judge. We didn't win. But she she wanted she wanted she said I think I think you got the best hair of everybody that I have coming in so I, I want you to go. And so I was able to spend some time with her and I witnessed to her and told her I said you you, you need to come to church with me. She said listen I'm just gonna tell you straight up. She said I could never go to your church because you guys go to church way too much. She said, you're always in church. She said, you go to church every week, don't you? I said, about three times a week. She said, who goes to church that much? I said, I, I do. She said, that's just, it's my reasonable service. It's my reasonable service. Well, that's unreasonable to expect. No unreasonable is when I tell somebody you'd have to quit your job and be at, be at church. You just... That's, that may be a little unreasonable. Will you come to church when you're sick? That may be unreasonable. But reasonable is every time that... Am I meddling too much tonight? Some of you are looking at me. I, I expected some of our faithful saints that's been around a while to be a little stronger amen in the pastor tonight. Let me just say, I grew up where if you were physically able, that you were in church when the church doors were open. 
It's called faithfulness. It's our reasonable service. I'm not talking about unreasonable. It's reasonable. It is our reasonable service. My holiness unto the Lord is my reasonable service. And be not conformed. That means don't get shaped by the world. Don't go through that process of conforming. Be not molded and shaped by the things of the world. And be not conformed to what? To the world. But be ye, say it again, shout it, transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Somebody said, well, I want the will of God in my life. Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed in the renewing of your mind. That will ensure that you are not being conformed and shaped into the mentality of the world. The world tries to force us to accept its philosophy the philosophy of the world today is, is the Bible is old and outdated. It doesn't matter what the Bible said. Who in the, their right mind is going to say, well, the Bible says this is how we're supposed to live. I was in a meeting the other day, and a couple of times I wanted to say, hey, can I just read a scripture to you? Because the Bible tells us how we should handle this situation. But I was not allowed to because the Bible is no longer relevant in that setting. They don't allow it in the setting. It's the world system. We're arguing over things that the Bible tells us how to handle it. Listen, don't fuss because the Bible's been taken out of our school if you're not opening the Bible in your home and telling your children, this is why we don't do, this is why we do. Get the Word of God. Make it relevant in your home. Make it relevant to your children. Make it relevant. Don't just make it a book we carry with us as a fancy accessory to the house of the Lord. Make it relevant in your decision-making processes. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. You ought to look at the Word of God and say, this is why I do what I do. Next week, I'm going to be talking to you about stewardship. We ought to not say, well, we do it because that's what the church does. No, we do it because the Word of God says it. So the flesh, we fight, we fight the flesh. So I just I just made it through the world and I got ten minutes left. I'm sorry. The flesh. We defeat the flesh through self-denial. Everybody say fasting. Self-denial. That's what fasting's about. Self-denial. Self-denial. So all the works of the flesh that the book of Galatians chapter 5 deals with, lists them all out. All of these works of the flesh, verse 21 says all of those things, drunkenness and envyings and revelings and murders and it just goes on. All of these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It just says it very clearly. They, they which do such things, verse 21, Galatians, what is that? Galatians chapter 5, if you're taking notes, read Galatians chapter 5. Verses 19 through 21. They which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The world is 
the world is bound by these things. But there is a right response to the flesh. We are no longer debtors to live after the flesh. Galatians 5, 24. Right, right on down, just a little bit further. In Galatians 5, 24. I'm, I'm out of time, literally, and I'm not just joking about this tonight. I've got to hurry. Galatians 5, on down, verse 24. They that are Christ's, they that belong to God, have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. How do you crucify the flesh? By dying out. That's what it means, not literally being nailed to a tree. That'll help you too. Go ahead and do it, but I'm not going to. I'm going to crucify the flesh through prayer. I'm going to crucify the flesh by saying it's prayer time. Nothing takes preeminence over it. All my phone's blowing up. People need something. It's my prayer time. I'm going to God in prayer. Nothing's interrupting prayer time. It's We're called to fast. We're going into a fast. Oh, yeah, but we've got something that... It's fast time. Nothing is going to over. I'm crucifying the flesh with the affections and the lusts. Ladies and gentlemen, we are living in a time of great satanic attack upon the people of God. And we must remain on guard. I've never seen a day. I'm 53 years old, 54 years old. My Lord, I can't even remember. I'm 53, aren't I? Somebody help me. Have mercy. My wife's over here, three, but she doesn't know I'm really 54. I was born in 1967. Y'all do the math. I've never lived and seen a day when there is so much spiritual attack on the people of God. And here's the deal. Some good people are being fooled to believe that it's everything but the devil. They think it's the church. They think it's their spouse. When it's the devil. 50% of all marriages fail. I recently read a Barna survey. 50% of all marriages fail in the church. That's what the world, in the world, 50% of all marriages fail. In the church, 50% of all marriages fail. When there is no difference between the world and the church, we have a problem. We have a problem if the church is not different from the world. We've got to do everything we can. I'm going to talk about it a little bit on Sunday when I'm casting vision, but we're going to do everything we can, every marriage. I don't want to see a failed marriage in the church. It ought to not be so. We need to break away from the world's systems and the world's ideology. It ought to not be so in the church. In order for us to live and walk in victory in this ongoing spiritual warfare, we must live and walk righteously. We must be ready, Jude chapter 3, to contend for the faith. When the devil comes and whispers, the world's winning. Look at all these problems. It must be the church's fault. It must be the pastor's fault. It must be this individual's fault or that individual's fault. You need to look the devil in the face and say, get behind me. It's your fault. It's your fault. We recognize who the enemy is. It is not 
things of this world. This is a spiritual battle. And this is not, this is not practice. We're in this for good. This is real. This is real. This is not practice. This is not pretend. This is real. It's time for us to launch a full force attack of prayer and worship and sacrifice. The devil hates it when you worship. The devil hates it when you pray. The devil hates it when you sacrifice. We need to send the devil to flight in our lives and declare, I am going to conquer. I am going to win. Come on, some of us have made up our mind. We're going to do battle for our family. We're going to do battle for our friends. We're going to do battle for our ministry. We are not going to settle for defeat. We are not pretending to fight. And we're not fighting as one that has no training. But we're not just beating at the air. But we're fighting. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Come on, Satan's kingdom must come down. God has promised the church victory and we're going to fight and we're going to win. Somebody get on your feet and give God praise tonight. Come on, let's just praise him for the victory tonight because he's given us the victory. We read the end of the book and we know that we win. We win. We win. We win. God help us tonight. I pray over every person in this room right now. Every person that's warring, different stages of battle, but we're all battling and we're all warring tonight. I pray, God, you become the lifter of our head, become the encourager of the saints of God that are fighting, Lord, for their home and family, fighting, Lord, for their mind, fighting, oh God, against the enemy that would like to destroy us. I pray now, God, you give us.